Our reality is but a dimension, the uppermost layer in a tower of mirrors. Beneath it are the many reflections cast by our reality, similar but not entirely the same. A staggering number of worlds, lands beneath a dark sun, a world of three moons forsaken by the gods, realms long forgotten, and countless thousands more. You are about to enter one such reflection, a world still recovering from a magical apocalypse, a place where magic is regulated, goblins trade their wares throughout the lands, and the north is dominated by giants. Today, the sun rises over Hymirin and the Wilderin. This is An Acorn's Journey, a DMD story. And now, Chapter 2 of An Acorn's Journey, a DMD story. You are still in battle. They've closed in on you. The sea formation is starting to get tighter and tighter. Two of your enemies are down. The riders are down. And combat begins. Dum dum dum. I close and attack the closest one to me so we can split their line. They um, get a turn. Uh, yeah. I have to have an opportunity to oh, hit you Oh, I suppose if you want to swing back, as fruitless as it's going to be. The first attacks are against Mokui in his wolf form. I have an 8, a 15, and a 4. The 15 will hit. You take 7 points of damage. You nimbly dodge between their wickedly carved swords, these machete-like swords with bone handles and spikes at the back. While trying to avoid the blows of the other two, you inadvertently step in to one of the blows from the third. Why'd you do that, damn it? Madri, two of your enemies close in on you. Not too sure if they're smiling at you or not, but there is a perpetual grin on their face as all their teeth are exposed. They don't have any lips. Neither do I. A 12 is going to miss, I assume. Correct. But the 19? Ooh, it just hit? hits. You take seven points of damage. Ugh. The first blow ricochets off the back of your shell. The other one gets in just under your armpit. It's not a fatal blow because your shell deflects most of it, but you can feel it sink into your armpit nonetheless. Long way. Three of them close in on you. One of them moves in, swings for your head with a backhanded motion. A little too high. Missed the height slightly. You get a high and tight, though, if you had hair. 13. Not even close. You definitely dodge out of the way of the next blow. It's a thrust right for your chest. And then the last one, the third, comes down in a chopping motion towards your head and shoulder. He rolls a 10. I will sidestep that blow. An earring. The last one moves in. Last of your opponents. They've now got you encircled. And he rolls a 13. Yes. You were able to lean backwards play just missing your chest. Long way, it is your attack. I'm going to select the one on my farthest right, which is the one closest to Madre, and I will attack with my sword and my hatchet. That's going to be a nat 20 with the sword, and that is going to be a 12 with the hand axe. The 12 misses, of course the nat 20 hits. 14 points. He goes down. That was a sword, correct? That was a sword, indeed. So your thrust finds its mark. Bury your sword deep into his chest. Kick his limp body off the tip of your sword. And with a flourish, you're at the ready again. And I will 
position myself so I am between the next person and so they cannot move forward and close in on Madre's back. Dash? Damn, that's it. Walk down the line. Walk down the line. Madre? Uh, Madre's going to lash out with two blows. Uh, He'll make a standard attack and then an unarmed strike. Standard attack misses, but the unarmed strike as it comes out starts to, his fist is wreathed in blackness and purple. And as he lashes out and punches, he hits this uh, foe with an acid-fueled fist. Definitely does some damage. I would hope so. That was quite of a build. (laughs) Four points of acid damage. As you launch your attack, there is a wispy trail of acidic-smelling black and purple smoke that is left behind. As you draw your fist back, it had sunk deep into your opponent's face. There is a sizzling hole where his features once were, but now they're melted and blurred together, and he drops to his knees, shudders, and falls face forward. Yeah, now that's really faceless. I think they might be susceptible to acid damage. Mokui. Mokui attack the one that's in front of him. Still in wolf form. 14? 14 hits. For 10 points of damage. There is a howl and a snarl as Mokui leaps on on his next victim. His jaws clamp onto the victim's throat. He thrashes about fiercely, tearing the throat from his opponent. There's a a gurgle, and he lies still. Release another howl. Earring? So there are three on me. As far as I can tell, there's a tree in the way. I'm going to attack the one to the left, which might roam past me and attempt to flank somebody from behind. Is a 16 for six points of damage and three points of psychic damage. Your battle axe bites deep into his side. There's almost a a ripple of energy that spreads from the axe in either direction, down his legs, towards his feet, and then up towards his head. It is almost as though he is... You're looking at him through through water for a moment. As you pull your axe free, he slumps and crumples, laying dead. At which point I then turn to the other two, waiting. Still in cat form. Still in yes. cat form. They begin to back up. Having six of their, their number fallen and watching their leaders fall, their morale, their resolve is beginning to weaken. They begin to creep backwards down that small rise that you you made your stand at. Long way or another, we're going to get you. Get you, get you, get you. (laughs) Did you say that they they backed away from us? Yes. Attacks Uh, of opportunity. (laughs) That's it. Go ahead. Run. Everyone's reaching for dice. (laughs) 17 for six points of damage. 21 for 10. 14 for 8. Dirty 20 for 8. Dash, would you like to say something? (laughs) (laughs) One, two, three. Okay, so it's almost even. Okay, they're dead. And I release the beast's sense. Four of them drop as you rally and charge on as they are trying to escape. The other two break out into a full-on sprint towards the tree line. I believe we're pretty resolute in not letting them leave. No quarter. Long way. I'm going to chase him down. Um, These are not humanoids. They are beasts. They have shown no emotion, so they deserve no quarter. 
So I'm gonna close in on the one that I have been battling. Well, that nat one on that, that hand axe, I'm gonna throw that thing away, it's horrible. 16 on the sword. A 16 is a hit. That's going to be eight points damage. You swing your axe and stumble, overreaching. You follow up with a, an attack with your sword, catch him in the ankle, which drops him face first. He lands on a rock, there is a cracking noise, and he lays motionless. Longway never falls down into the advantage of having a tail. Dash. I start scanning the uh, skies as I come back into my own senses, looking for the robin. As soon as I see the robin heading back to the nest, I wave, and before the uh, speak with animals drops, I will uh, thank her very much and then climb to the top of the tree so I can see better and start jumping up and down on the branch. Was it speak with animals or beast sense? Uh, no, beast sense dropped beast sense. before this and the animal speak with animals is just about to run out. Madri? Madri's going to take bandage out of his pouch, kind of hold it under his armpit there and just stop the bleeding. And he's going to scan the battlefield to make sure everybody else is okay. Your party seems relatively unscathed, a little sweaty, but you're the only one that had the misfortune of being hit. Mokui? There's one standing? There's one running. I'm going to give chase. Like a tennis ball that is thrown. (laughs) (laughs) Tails wagging and I'm bounding away. I got a 50 movement speed. You will be able to catch up with them quite easily. And then when I do, I will attack him. Make your attack. 15. 15 hits? For 10. 10 points. You pounce on his back, takes him down, he sprawls, loses his weapon. You bury your teeth into the back of his neck. There's a lot of clawing at the dirt. He's trying to pull himself away, but the weight of your direwolf form is such that he cannot, and soon he too dies. And I'll drag him back to the group. Your opponents are vanquished. Mokui presents you with a corpse. <laughs> Good boy. I'll scratch him behind the ears, give him a pat on the, the shoulder, and, and cast the body onto another one. So your foes have been vanquished. All right. Let's put them in a pile, and let's gather some dead wood. I want to burn these bodies. I don't want them to just sit here and rot. I'll uh, go off and gather wood. I'll get a small fire started. Mokui? I'm going to just circle the area just to make sure nothing else is coming. I'll use my, my senses of sight and smell. Madri? Madri's going to... Uh, are we? Is it... Fair to say we're taking a bit of a rest? I think it's fair to say we're out of combat. Okay, cool. Uh, Magic's <laughs> going to use uh, hit die and get some hit points back. Okay. Dash lets out a very loud scream and launches from the tree and starts gliding back to the group. Moments after combat is done, you see Dash gliding towards the group, earring, Gracefully long falling. <laughs> and Madri. He's at an even more awkward angle because he is carrying the weight of the messenger bag. So he is almost sideways as he glides. Uh, He shudders every now and again. He lands among you in a somewhat awkward fashion, taking a few running steps and stopping just before a tree as he puts his leg up in front of him and plants the sole of his foot against the trunk of the tree to stop his landing. Hey, if I can walk away, it's a good one. Mokui, your, your search of the local area reveals nothing concerning Okay, I'll just head back to the party. Mokui returns to the rest of the group. Dash is now there. Messenger bag still bulging. Not really hanging from his shoulder, but trailing behind him. 
Now that we've got a fire started and a good, we're gonna get a good fire going before we start throwing bodies on it. I want to see that these things are burned so they don't contaminate the forest. Um, at some point, once we know this is taken care of, I suggest we all move our way back to the edge of the forest. There were three riders. Normally there's one rider and 12 foot soldiers. There were three riders. I want to know where the other two dozen soldiers are. Agreed. And, and they opened the curtain similar to the way they did before inside the forest. Now they did it outside of the forest and stepped in. They're not supposed to be able to do that. We never did figure out how they did before, or at least not well. Let's go there and, and see if we can find tracks or anything and, and possibly discern whether or not there are more, or did they just have three riders this time? Is the magic of the forest uh, waning? Do we need to... My guess is they just found a way around it. The assassin was able to open one of those things inside of the tree. True. That, was, that guy sucked. I'm just mm. going to walk over and nudge the bag, just push the messenger bag towards them, nose it towards them, the group. Well, as we're burning the buys, I want to make sure this is going. This is going to take a little while anyway, so it'll give us a good time to open the bag, look at its contents, see if there's anything else in there besides a giant bulge, and see if we can figure something out. Within an hour, Earring has an acceptable pile of dead wood that he's cleared up from the area. Do you okay. feel confident that you can start a pyre? I will then go and gather the rider's bodies. I thought there was one horse that was only wounded and probably still whinnying in pain. I'm going to dispatch that horse so it's not no longer suffering. Madri walks over to uh, Mokui and says, I got these herbs from earlier still. Do you want them? He just walks around you. <laughs> and I'm going to open the bag and empty whatever content. I'm not going to dump it on the ground. I'm going to remove the contents of whatever's in the bag. It's a it's a tight fit. It takes a little wiggling to get it out, but it is a basketball-sized golden, not golden color, but gold acorn. The cap is gold. There's some lettering inscribed on the top of the cap. That's in silver. There's a great deal of weight to it, and you gathered that, by the way, that Dash glided into the battleground it is heavy. It is made of gold or perhaps some other metal that has been coated in gold, but it is an ornate vessel. I got to guess it's pretty safe to assume it's not solid gold. Otherwise, something this large would not, there's no way Dash would be able to carry it or fly with it. That is a safe assumption. It's, it's warm to the touch. Okay. Take a glance at the lettering. Is it something that I possibly might recognize? You don't think so. The, the language of the area has been been a challenge for both you and Madri. Well, they speak funny here, too. They do. Uh, they pronounce their, their words differently. Their writing is especially challenging. It's not the characters that you're used to using, and it runs in a different direction, and their books start in the front instead of the back, which seems almost ridiculous. Uh, everything's backwards. I'm going to glance at it anyways. You you never know. It is it is pleasing to the eye. It's a flowing script. It's very pleasant to look at. It's almost mesmerizing at times the way it flows into itself. The craftsmanship is such that you've never seen it before. N none of you, not even the great sword masters from the East that made some of the finest weapons you've ever laid your eyes on. This is on par with their work and perhaps even more intricate. Wow, what intricately beautiful scribble. But the whole vessel itself is a magnificent work in in something. You're not too sure what. It doesn't look forged. You're not too sure if it was poured. It's different from every 
fine piece of crafting you've ever seen. It's not solid, so maybe it's a container. Did you shake it? Yeah, pick it up and shake it. I... Shaking things you don't know about, I've learned in the past, can be dangerous. But I will see if the cap is removable. I'll try to pry it a little bit. So being a possibly a container, I'm going to try to see if the cap moves. I can pry it off or if it twists off. A couple wraps to see if I think there's some kind of gap there. And perhaps it's a container I can open. Maybe there's contents that I want to take a look at. Give me an investigation. Investigation. 14. No bonuses. The vessel seems almost seamless. It looks like the cap could be a separate part, something that comes on or off, but you put it between your legs and try to twist it off. You gently wrap on it with a piece of wood from the wood pile, and nothing seems to give any indication, though, that the cap of the acorn can be removed. Maybe you try saying some like magic words, you know, like uh, uh, Klaatu, Barada, Nikto... I know none of those incantations. Mokwe, this thing has some kind of arcane lock on it. Can you possibly work on that? Or do we want to stop playing with it here? Let's get these bodies taken care of and bring it back to people who are more learned in the, these things than us. And as you say that, I'll circle around you to show that's a good idea. Roll me a percentile, long way, and tell me what you rolled. 99. His name is Mokwe, long way. Mokwe. That's what I said. Not Mokwe, Mokwe. We. That's what I said. You get used to it after a while. Mokwe. Yeah, Mokwe. Yeah. That's what that's what we said. I guess. I, I have an extra long tongue and scaly lips, and Madre over here doesn't even have lips. There, there are some things that just aren't going to be spoken the way you're used to hearing them. I apologize for that. It's okay. Just was always wondering that. When you guys to go to collect honey from a hive, are you collecting that from the Bees or the bays? The little bugs that make honey. Honey. When you're addressing yourself, is it me or May? I address you as Aaron. No, 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 no. When you address yourself. Madri. I say, I. All right, we'll have to continue this. Too much thought. How about another body for the, for the pile? Go ahead and get another body. Oh, actually, there's a, there's a leg under a horse that I'm probably going to need help getting out. We'll gather all the parts. We'll burn all the parts. <laughs> Long way. Can I can I see that nut? Sure. I'm gonna take it and begin a spell that I'm not going to cast, but I want to reach out to the nut, feel if I could actually make this bloom without actually like making it bloom. Okay. And what spell would that be? Then? Druidcraft. Druidcraft. Instantaneous, able to make seeds, seed pods open, flowers bloom. You're getting mixed messages. On one hand. No, absolutely not. On the other hand, yeah, maybe. Hmm. So it's yes, one moment, no, another moment. Yes, one moment, no, another moment. Somebody smarter than me is going to have to figure this one out. Roll percentile. 93. Some good percentile rolls. Always trust the metal dice right there. Well, they ching. What does spell tell you? I can't tell you, dude. It's almost, it wants to be, but it can't. So I don't know. I could try to like... Fully pour the spell on and see if I can get it to bloom, but that would possibly trash anything that's inside if it can actually do it. Let's find somebody who's more well-versed. Once we think we have the, the bodies going well and enough 
dead wood to pile on top of it to maintain the, the burn. I say we, we leave here, we go to where our temporary camp is, gather up what we have gathered up, and head back to the, the community so we can track down someone a little bit more learned about this than us. Before long, all the bodies are on the pyre, and it's blazing. Your check of the tree line reveals nothing unusual. There's no encampments as far as you can see, and you can see quite far because the plains go on for quite a while. They're fairly flat. There's no indication of any camps or encampments. There's no indication of any more foot soldiers, just the plains. So be it. Camp is not too far away. It's easy to get there. It's quick. And before long, you've broken camp and are on your way back to Forest Glen. With camp broken, did you get your bow? I did go out and get my bow. I'm going to retrieve mine as well. Your, I, did, I did cast mine off with, in, in favor of a sword during the combat. And I'll, I'll probably retrieve one of the other Fallen Ones bows and just take the string off and restring my, restring my bow. It is a good string to have in reserve. However, you find the craftsmanship of their bows to be poor, particularly in comparison to yours. It's serviceable. It's definitely capable of killing something, as evidenced earlier, but it is not of the quality of your bow. Or the strings you're used to putting on. However, as a backup, it will certainly do the trick. I'll keep the other bow that I picked up as just as a reserve. This bow is made of bone. It is something that is bone, wood, and leather strapping. How it has the flex of a bow, you're not entirely sure. But after glancing at it for a little bit, it does appear to be made of human bones. Or humanoid bones, I should say. Oh. Carb trophy. The town of Forest Glen is nestled deep within the forest. Those individuals, not expecting to find a town within the dense forest, will be shocked when suddenly the forest gives way to a quaint small town. The town is made up of simple, sturdy log cabins and muddy streets. It has been built among and over the ruins of a much older city, most of which has wasted away with time. The stonework on on the buildings looks like it was probably scavenged from some of the older buildings from this city. From a time long past. Who built it? Nobody really knows. Nobody really cares. Many of the townspeople are hard laborers accustomed to the rougher living of the countryside. Prospectors haul wheelbarrows to and from their sites. Picks slung across their backs. Loggers gather the lumber from the surrounding forest, which is still full of wildlife. And even to those individuals in the wilderness, it's still a mystery. And farmers toil away in their fields. Their work never quite done. This is a town you're familiar with. You've passed through several times. You've stayed working odd jobs here, as well as other towns within the wilderness. And you return, still successful and a bit battle-hardened, but you still have those pouches of herbs and dried mushrooms that Sun was looking for. There is an unusually somber tone here with the sickness that has stricken the town. There's not as much of the bustle and not as many people traveling to and fro. There's very few that still aren't sick. The largest of the houses that is not the inn is being used as, as a triage in a field hospital for sick individuals. You see your friend's son glistens on the water standing outside of that house. He's got an apron on and a mask over his face. He pulls down the mask and takes, takes a deep breath of air and looks towards your party returning. He raises one large hand as he recognizes you and he nods. And I'll nod back and raise my hand. He asks, what have you for me? I'll bring out the various mushrooms and herbs that we had gathered. I'll give it to him, and then I will proceed to tell him about the encounter we had. He looks down at the pile of herbs and mushrooms. This will suffice. This makes Sun happy. 
Son, you sound ill. Your voice is a lot deeper. I fear that I've been stricken ill, but these will help. Mokwe, perhaps you need to seek out the community's leaders and let them know about the encounter so they can be at the ready just in case and have runners ready to notify the other communities in the area in case there's another incursion. I'll go look for the leaders, and that's what I'm doing for now. The town doesn't so much have leaders as it's an elder, the oldest living person in the town in many of the towns, except for Balanasi cities. Elders are the ones that run the town, for lack of a better term. They're the ones whose wisdom is sought after by the others. How to combat a famine, how to manage a pack of hunting wolves that's taking livestock. But there's no real structure of leadership. It seems to just happen. I'll go searching for the elder. In this town, it is Mudrost. He's a very old man. So I will go look for him. Um, do I find him? Um, You're familiar with where Mudrost's home is. What is the purpose of your visit, Mokwe? What is it that you're looking for? We have news. There was a... Well, no, not, I'm just asking the oh, question. Like, okay. what, are, what are you going for? To uh, let them know that we had a, um, a run-in with the Faceless Ones. That a messenger carrying a bag was killed and he had what looks like a golden acorn. Okay. You're familiar with where Mudrost lives. His house is a ramshackle A-frame that is on the outskirts of town, closest to the fields. Overgrown weeds poke through the deeply cracked stone path leading towards the sunken walls of what looks like a farmhouse. The once sturdy wooden beams making up the frame of the house are now feebly dipping under the weight of the second story. Small shards of glass that once rested in their respective window frames litter the dusty, battered floorboards. Inside... There is a large pile of hefty stones that lies against a far wall. Maybe a chimney, maybe a fireplace. You're really not too sure. Maybe just a collection of stones. Mudrost is also quite eccentric. Rusted tools still hang from their places on the wall, awaiting the return of their time to be used. But it looks like they haven't been used in eons. Or perhaps they're still being used. They were just left out in the elements for a long period of time. There is what looks like a pile of clothes sitting on a rocking chair, but once it moves, you realize it's Mudros, the elder. Well, come in. And I walk in. I ask, how are you doing today? I am not dead. So, at my age, quite good. That is good. But how are you today, Mokui? I'm a little worried today. We've had a run-in with the faceless. The faceless one? Yes. The ones that besieged Birch Grove. Yes. But did you not vanquish them from Birch Grove? Did you not say they were all dead? They were all slain? We fought. They were all saying they came in through the veil somehow. We saw them part the veil, come in, and they murdered a messenger. We did vanquish these who covered what the messenger was carrying, and it looks like a golden acorn. Ah, show me. And I will produce it and show it to him. That is a big acorn, Mokui. Put it in my hands. And I put it in his hands? His reaches out with two frail, bony hands, and once the weight of the acorn hits his hands, they immediately slump into his lap, and he grunts, This is no acorn. Then what is it? I do not know. It looks like an acorn. So therefore... Decoration of some sort. But this is no acorn. You could not plant this, Mokui, and produce a tree. He raps on it, holds it up over his head with a grunt, and shakes it fiercely. I give him the worried look. Well, what about the runes? cast upon it. The runes, they are ancient. Do you have any idea what they say? I do not know. They look 
almost elven like Balanasi script, but I do not recognize the words inscribed upon here, nor do I recognize the characters, the flow of the script, the pattern of it. It looks Balanasi in origin, but far, far older, I believe, and shakes it up to his ear. And this is heavy. It grows warm at my touch. I put my hand on it to see what he's talking about. It is warm. It's very warm. You feel as though you can put it under your blankets at night on a cold evening and it would keep you warm throughout the evening. Do you have any old textbooks that we could research? I have no books. I am the book. I have lived so long here, I need not write down my experiences and my knowledge. People can just come to me. I have, and you have not been able to answer me, so therefore, we need another book. Well, I apologize for not knowing this one thing, Mokui. I did not realize that you were far more knowledgeable than I... Or are you? Tell me what you think this is. Golden acorn. Thank you. I sense a magic, partially. Not full magic, not full enchantment, but someone cast a spell upon it. Can we determine the spell? I cannot determine what spell it is. It doesn't feel like a spell in its entirety. The beginnings of magical energy is being poured into it. Something natural. Something magics from Hymerin itself. It is not the power of the gods that the priests call down, nor is it the magical energies of the nether realms. But this is a magic from Hymerin. I think I will need to bring this all this information you had given me to the rest of the party. If you have any more questions, please feel free to return. And we... But mind you, do not insult me as you had before. There's still some strength in these old bones. Hand me my staff. I reach for a staff and I hand it to him. Thank you. He pokes you in the belly with it. (sighs) Go on now, whelp. And if you return, I would like a flask of ale. I would too, and I walk out. Creak across the floorboards, feeling like at any minute you could fall through them. You hear, shut the door behind you. And I'll close it when I leave. Travel through the town, very short walk to where your friends are still chatting with Sun. I come up to the group and I've met with the elder. We interrupt this podcast of an acorn journey to talk about our sponsor. You're a new DM who wants to jump behind the screen. Maybe you've been volunteered by your gaming group, but aren't quite ready. You've been watching people play games online or on podcasts, and you're thinking to yourself, where do they come up with all that descriptive narrative? There's no way I can do that. Well, don't worry. We've got a solution for you. What if I were to tell you that I can put a team of professional writers alongside you at your desk while you're prepping your game? Sounds pretty good, huh? With Describe, we can do just that. These narratives vividly describe monsters, places, spells, people, you name it. It's there. And there are more than 6,000 of these easy-to-search-up, copy, and pasteable, beautifully written narratives right at your fingertips. Confidently read these narratives aloud in your campaign and impress noob and veteran gamer alike. And the best thing about it is, the library of narratives is constantly growing, and it's affordable. Describe has graciously provided us with a discount for our listeners. Head on over to describe.com backslash dmd. That's D-S-C-R-Y-B dot com backslash D-M-D. Use the code D-M-D at checkout to try Describe for two weeks for free. Links will be in the show notes. And now, back to an acorn's journey, a D-M-D story. And what did the Elder divine? That this is very old, and it has the startings 
of some magics, but he couldn't tell us. But he did say it is from the world, our world of Hymerin. Did that possibly have something to do with the magic that Dash was casting on it? You know, I didn't think of that. Nah, my magic isn't Hymerin, it's fairy. Your magic comes from what world? Here. This is my li- this is my world. A question for the DM. Yes. What is the racial makeup of this village town? It's pretty diverse. There's humans, a fairy, Valanasi, orcs, half orcs. It's diverse, and most of the Wilderin is. The Wilderin is home to a lot of refugees and a lot of like fey kind. So it's not uncommon to see like a makeup such as this anywhere in Hymirin. It's a little more rare in the Balanasi cities because that's predominantly Balanasi, but here in the outskirts, it's refugees and the descendants of refugees. So usually you can see a lot of different racial features in one individual. There's a lot of intermingling. It's a pretty welcoming environment. The politics of the outside world don't trickle into this area. The racial hatred of the outside world doesn't trickle into this area, which is probably why refugees will sometimes find their way here. Now, the only refugees that you really know are Adrian Longway, but most people can find the telltale signs of orc blood or Kopi blood or various elf, dwarf, whatever have you. Well, we know that anything that breeds with a Kopi comes out of Kopi. And the Kopi perform very differently in the Wilderin. You won't find any Kopi ghettos like you will in the in the outside world. The tolerance for them is much greater, though that isn't saying much. They tend to settle in their own areas, uh, abandoned villages and that sort of thing, ruins which they convert into a a Kopi town. But it still is chaotic, as you would expect from these small fey creatures. Speaking of abandoned areas, what became of Birch Grove? Birch Grove, after your defense of it, the fairies moved back in. Dash was immediately put back in his tree and was pretty much left alone because of his volatility. So everything went back to normal, seemingly. To the party, once... Moqui returns. I'm going to make my way to the tavern to see what's uh, what's good. Sun will nod to you all, pull his mask back up, take the herbs and the mushrooms that you brought him, and we'll go back into that large house. Sun, do you need assistance? I do not, but thank you. If you do, just let me know. I shall. It's good to see you all. And you as this well. It pleases Sun to see his friends again. It pleases us as well to see you. Earring, you're going to the tavern. Uh, The tavern is is strangely quiet. The tavern keeper's wife is there. She is absentmindedly spinning a cup around with her finger. She's got her cheek resting on one of her meaty hands. She's a very large, robust woman who is, you assume, middle-aged, but it's hard to tell. She looks like someone who's been the same age, 40, for the last 30 years. She's got her hair up in a bun, gray streaks in it. She's wearing an apron. There's this signs of wine and ale stains on her apron. It's clean, but these things are hard to get out of. Well, Earring, welcome. You've come to our plague-ridden town. Somewhat foolish, but we thank you for helping Sun. We also got rid of about a dozen faceless ones not too long ago. So you must be thirsty. Uh, very, and wondering what's on the menu for today. I have a stew on the fire. I like stew. What kind of stew? Meat. Excellent. I think Moqui's new diet will be 
uh, very happy with that. I think I have an apple for the little bastard. Oh, no, 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 no. Meat for Moqui now. Really? Yeah. With what teeth? Now that I think of it, he might prefer things that might be still living. Well, that's gruesome. So what would you like to drink? And where are the rest of your friends? They're outside. Uh, What do you have on tap? I have beer, beer, and beer. I think I'll go with the third beer. Good. It's all the same, but she hands you a big frothy cup of beer. She is known to be one of the best brewers of beer in the area. It's never quite the same as the last batch, but it's still quite good, and it does the trick. I will take the beer, walk out, you know, wave to everybody, catch their attention, and, you know, raise the beer and head back inside. You all see Earring standing outside the tavern, holding a big frothy mug of beer, the foam kind of dripping down the sides. It looks really good. I'm going to turn to Madre. Once again, Earring, first to the bar. Speaking of firsts, I see you've been first to be struck. You owe me a copper. Damn, you're right. Does that wound need ministrations? No, it's it's healed over pretty well. As usual, but still, first to be struck, you know the bet. I'll get you next time. That was three times ago you were going to get me next time. Now you owe me a total of four coppers as being the first to get struck in combat. I feel that this is uh, becoming tedious, brother. Oh, no, I find it quite comical and entertaining. Dash looks up. Does the tennis thing between the two and then takes off for the indoor at full speed. Climbs up on the bar stool, jumps up just enough so that she can see him and said, The normal, extra meat. Well, listen, you little fucker. <laughs> Today will be one day where you will not be having a brawl in my tavern, as it seems there's no other patrons. So today might be a good day. Take a seat, make yourself comfortable. No problem. Would Fill like me up first. Oh, yes. And what will we be having today? I expect you will not drink in excess and uh, get rowdy. Let's see. I think I'll start with the, the beer, and then I think I'll go on to the second beer after the meat. She pours a mug, the same size mug that Earring had, and puts it down in front of you. You have to use both hands to drink out of it. It looks like a toddler drinking out of a five-gallon Home Depot pail. <laughs> she gives you a bowl of the stew. I will pick out the vegetables and... Put them on the side. When you're done picking the vegetables out, she'll grab the plate, toss them back into the stew pot. Madri, then I'm going to hand him the bag, the satchel, and I'm going to make my way to the tavern. So you enter the tavern. This is an old building. It's one of those buildings that has been in the family for a long period of time. It's kind of like the family business. You roll in, and immediately she looks at you, smiles and walks over, bends down, picks you up, and gives you a hug, smushing you into her chest. Why? Why? Because you're a cute little bastard. That's why. And she'll put you on a stool and give you a poke in the belly. (sighs) I understand you eat meat now. No, I do not. I don't know who would have told you such lies. Just then, Earring walks into the tavern. I saw what you did to that horse. I saw the frenzy. I saw the bloodlust. That wasn't me. That was you. That was not. I wasn't in my right frame of mind. She's looking back and forth to each of you as you have your discussion. The usual, please. I I understand when Dash is not in his right frame of mind, but you, you're always in your right frame of mind. Might not be in the right frame of body. A long soak will take care of that. That's a little bit better put. She's chuckling as she's peeling the skin off an apple. She's watching your exchange. And she then cuts it up into teeny tiny little pieces (laughs) and puts some grapes on a copper plate 
and slides it down to you. I'll catch it as it slides by, and I will start to eat. Can I have a uh, bowl of stew, please? Yes, of course. Thank you. Madri walks in in his hulking shape, sits on one of the stools next to the rest of his companions, and says, one bowl of greens, please. You have to sit like in between two empty spots because you take up so much room. It, <laughs> it creaks under your weight, the bar stool, and you can see her kind of cringe a little bit and wait. I cringe too. I'm waiting. And she walks out from behind the, the bar and goes over to the hearth where there's a giant black stew pot sitting there, pours a big bowl of stew. She just reaches in with the bowl and dips it in, comes walking over and puts it in front of earring, a wedge of cheese and some bread. You're not from around here, Madri. What kind of foods do you like from where you're from? She drops a bowl of greens in front of him <laughs> as you ask that question. Typically greens. It probably looks Green like she greens. just went out back and just pulled up some clumps of grass. One of those mushroom eaters. I figured you would. your, your favorite food would be tortellini. <laughs> <laughs> that was my mother's name. <laughs> Lini? No, tortellini. So you have a nice meal. And some beer. Too much beer. But then you think maybe not enough. Madri turns to Mokwe and uh, and says, did, did you get any news from or information from the elder? Yeah. He said this was very old, which if you were listening, you would have caught earlier. Oh, I'm sorry. What about the text on top? He didn't know anything about it. He just said it was very old and of volumosity in nature. Does Gramps even read? He's a book of knowledge. Yeah, but I've never seen him actually, like, read anything. Well, he couldn't read this, so I'm not sure. He said it was just very old. Obviously. He would know. Yeah, if he's that old. Do we know who's the closest Valenasi in the town? We should find someone to help us read this. Do they have to be Valenasi? Can they just be somebody who knows magic? Well, he did say it did have the beginnings, is, which we discussed earlier, of magic, but it was never, that's all he really said. Okay, I was just trying to cover the bases. The bases are covered. So where'd you put that? Oh, it's here, and next to, he reaches around behind him on his shell, and he pulls the, the messenger bag around. Hey, it's here. I found it. Okay, at least we know it's safe. I can't carry the thing around all day. It's almost as big as I am. Wimp. It's bigger than I am. Will you boys be staying the night? We do need a place to rest. I thought as much. Fortunately for you, it seems I have plenty of rooms upstairs. I've been eyeing that squirrel hole outside in the tree. Why? I need a new coat. Why? This one's getting a little ratty. It's a year old. Barbaric. As I stroll into the bar, Dash, leave the town's fauna alone. Find something in the woods. I'll walk up to the bar, bow to the matron, and take a seat next to Madrid. How's my little dragon doing today? Much better now that I've seen the sunshine in your eyes and the smile upon your face, my lady. If only I wasn't married and was into well, whatever you are. At least he's not a cute little bastard. You're lucky she throw in cute. She didn't. Is it wine, beer, or goat's milk today? Goat's milk would be absolutely delightful, thank you. Fresh from the teat. I would accept nothing less. Something to peck on would be really nice as well. And what would you like to peck upon today? I'll leave it to your discretion, for your taste is impeccable. Too bad you're married. She'll come out with bread, cheese, some fruit, some jam, and some greens. I'll consume them And a honey cake. Oh, I'll stop mid-bread, set the bread down, pick up the honey cake instead. So have we determined what exactly we're going to do? Mokwe? 
No, but Earring had probably the best idea that we've all had. Find somebody who can read this thing. Well, what a breakthrough that is. What language is it? Well, he he said some, one of those elven races. It's Valanasi. Valanasi. Have we seen any Valanasi in town? There's a farmer on the outskirts of town that appears like he's got Valanasi blood. He's not a, a pure Valanasi, but could be half or a quarter. The accent he speaks with would indicate that he's got some Valanasi lineage. I guess we should go see the farmer that's on the outskirts of the towns. He he probably may know. Oh, the turnip guy? The turnip guy. Should we take a walk, Mukwe? I think we should take a walk. Bring back some turnips, please. Uh, why don't you come along with? Oh, let's since, go. Since you're carrying. It'll be a field I, trip. I can I can take it. They can enjoy their meal. We can go for the walk, go visit the farmer. Okay. I think perhaps maybe we should just settle in. For the inmates getting late in the day. We're only having our meal now. The farmer's going to be a walk. That means you're coming back in the dark. We had faceless ones chasing this parcel. From this point forward, whoever happens to be the keeper of the nut is going to be accompanied by any and all. Because I'd hate to see just two individuals heading out to a farmland and suddenly those other two groups of faceless ones come out of nowheres. I would be very, very uncomfortable breaking the group up at this point. This is something extremely important. It's not necessarily just a message. It's, it's not a, just a parcel. It is significant, and I think we need to treat it as such. Yeah, it'd really suck if we were nutless. So let's get rest this evening after our foray this afternoon, go out to see the farmer, and then from there we may have to determine whether or not we need to immediately leave and seek out someone else. Sounds like a plan. And that instead of trying to do so at the end of the day. That's fair. As you finish saying that, the innkeeper hands you a key. Says, I trust you and Madri will be sharing a room. As usual. Thank you. She gives a key to Mokui in Earring. And she says, shall I prepare your trunk in the back, Dash? Don't know. Have any of the field mice come back? That was a comfy place. So she beckons you to go to the back room where she opens up a creaky old (laughs) trunk. It's got a pillow resting in it and a blanket. She bids you good night. Says, I'll be locking the tavern up to bed with you. I'll take a deep bow. Milady, thank you for your hospitality. Oh my, Milady. How gallant. Once uh, Earring and Mokui are separate from the rest of the party, hey, uh, Mokui, got a question for you. And what, yes, what is it? You ever take a, a maple seed and like break them in half and then throw one up in the air and it kind of spins yes. all the way to the ground? I was wondering if... Uh, Imagine if we got Dash really drunk, really, really drunk, and we brought him up to the roof of the tavern and we threw him off the roof. Do you think he'd do the same thing? And that's where we'll leave it. Join us next time as the adventure continues on An Acorn's Journey, a DMD story. Thank you to our cast, Frank Whedon, Ben Petrie, Bill Robitaille, Louis Aponte, Sin Morse, and your DM, Scott. A special thanks to you, our listeners. You are why we do this every week. We'll see you next time in the dojo. You can support the Dungeon Master's Dojo in some very simple ways. Be patronizing, like Lou, and become a patron on Patreon and unlock exclusive patron content. Or if you're like Scott and long-term commitment is an issue, you can buy us a sake. Shop our merch page for DMD swag or use our drive-thru RPG affiliate link next time you shop drive-thru RPG. Or 
visit us on the web at the dungeonmastersdojo.com. There, you'll find links to all the above. Don't forget to email us and say hello. Thanks for listening.